Morning. Morning. You all look lovely. May God bless this service. Um, May he bless our time. My name is Len James, and I get the privilege of closing out this sermon series. Series on the Ten Commandments titled, Written in Stone, Written on the Heart, Finding Life and Liberty in the Law of God. Since the beginning of June, we've been in, these, in this series, and we've been examining the law, uh, specifically focusing on the Ten Commandments, going through each one, speaking toward these commandments, not only their relevance for the original audience, but us here today. What I'm speaking on today, um, it's not an easy subject, especially in today's social media climate, YouTube shorts. TikTok videos, so quick and fleeting, that's not what I'm presenting here today. I'm going to need your attention. I'm going to need your minds. And not just for the next 35 minutes, but it's going to require you to go beyond this sermon time and continue to think on these things, continue to look into God's word. The topic I'm speaking on today is the Christian and the law. How do we Christians relate to the law today? How does anybody relate to the law? Before I get into the text, just want to say a few thank yous. I want to thank Corey Mitchell, Lindsay Smoker, the whole LEFC staff, especially Jeff and Alex. They were very patient, very patient with me. I'm a very zealous and excitable person. I get very hype. And as we were talking about these things, they were helping me. Um, to come to certain conclusions. So thank you. Um, I truly appreciate your prayers, um, and hopefully our toil will be beneficial here today. Next, again, I'm going to say some hard things because this is a hard topic. Know that the things that I'm saying are out of a heart of love and concern. LEFC, I love you. Visitors, I love you. YouTube land, I love you. Lastly, I'm going to pray here. Because if God doesn't build the house, those who build, we just labor in vain. So would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would glorify yourself. You are worthy, God, to be feared. You're worthy to be obeyed, you're worthy to be loved. God, I pray that the hearer today would be edified by the words that come out of my mouth, words that come out of your word, out of the Bible. We want it to go well with us. Please do not let your word return to you void. And be with me, God. Give me strength. God, I pray that you would give clarity to the message. I pray that you would help me to be humble in spirit, but strong in you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So prior to getting into each of the commandments, Tony did a few uh, sermons, and the one he did right before starting the Ten Commandments was on Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. Um, He focused namely on verses 18 through 20 with the plan to revisit verse 17. So that's what I'm going to do here today by God's grace. So that's where we'll be. If you could please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. If you don't have a Bible, 
I think there's going to be people coming. There's usually people coming down the aisles. I got a better thing. Use your phone. Don't go on YouTube. Just look up Bible, Matthew chapter 5. Starting at verse 17 and through 20. Reads. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. If we're carefully looking at the text here, we're going to see that there's a directive. There's a command in verse 17. It says, do not think. Do not think. Jesus is forbidding the idea that we're to think that he's doing away with the law. As Tony stated in his sermon back in June, there was accusation against Jesus. There was opposition to him. They were charging him with a disregard of the law. It could be because Jesus was doing things such as healing on the Sabbath, eating with sinners. Perhaps it was because his disciples were picking grain on the Sabbath. They weren't following the same cleaning, washing, or fasting traditions. Whatever the case is, Jesus wants something to be very clear to his disciples. Do not think. Don't be tempted to think that he is here to abolish the law or the prophets. Why is that important for me and you today? Why would Jesus find it necessary to tell his disciples to reject the thought that he's abolishing the law and prophets? I think it's pretty simple because I think people would be tempted or suppose that Jesus is doing that. Corey Mitchell had a he heard a uh, translation of this before. Their translation went like this. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law. I have not come to abolish them, but I've come to abolish them. No. We have to remember, in Jesus' day, the Jews were so ingrained in their religious traditions, it wouldn't be a stretch to think that Jesus was abolishing the law. In Mark chapter 2, Matthew 15 there's questions about what Jesus is doing. His disciples are not washing like the Pharisees and the disciples of John are. They're not fasting the same way. You see, for many religious, observance of the law alongside of a observance of tradition became meshed. It became so one in their minds that in their minds and hearts, they would think and say... Maybe not say, but definitely think. To observe the tradition is to observe the law. You see, thinking that way, it will be easy to be offended by Christ. 
because there's a perceived abolishing of the law. And just to note, it's a beyond a threat to the law. It's a threat to their culture, their tradition, and the leadership that ran the whole thing. For others, the abolishing of the law may have been a welcomed idea. Could this, new G, could this Jesus, his new teaching here, be telling me that I can do all the things that I want to do? There's no restriction on me. Do I get to do all those things that I feel instinctively I should be able to do? Verses 18 to 20 seem to suggest that these are the people that Jesus is especially speaking to. The Lord said, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. You see, that kind of language right there should make our ears perk up. Set aside one of the least? You mean like one of the smallest? If I do that, I'm going to be called least? He goes on to amp it up. But he says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Oh, hold up, Jesus. You mean to tell me that I have to be more righteous, I have to adhere to this law better than the people that teach it and the people that police it up, or I'm not getting in the kingdom? That's serious. That should do more than just make your ear perk up. Your heart should be concerned now. There should be a laser focus in on what he's saying. Jesus isn't speaking for effect. It's real life, real standards. So what do we have here? I think we have two major ways that disciples of Jesus, Christians, can wrongly interact with the law. One way, like the Pharisee and the teacher of the law, we could present God with a subpar righteousness. That's why Jesus had to say, unless your righteousness surpasses theirs, you won't enter the kingdom we clearly see that there's a way that you can interact with the law and fall terribly short. And the other way I think people get it wrong is they completely disregard the law. What's often the case is I think people do both. They present God as subpar righteousness and they disregard his commands. Jesus said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets the law and prophets go beyond the Ten Commandments. When we're looking at the scriptures, Exodus, where the Ten Commandments we've been looking at are Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, there's 613, some people have a different number, commands, right? Jesus is saying, I'm not setting those aside. And the prophets, all of the Old Testament scriptures, Jesus is saying, I'm not abolishing those. Generally speaking, when we're talking about the law, you usually see it in the civil, ceremonial, and moral law. This sermon and what, you know, we've been doing for the last few weeks, months, has been focused on the moral law. That's not to set aside the civil and ceremonial laws. There's significance there, even to what the fulfillment means. So I encourage you, again, this has to go beyond this sermon. Your study has to, has to continue 
And here's where I think things get very confusing for people. I suspect that there's already questions swirling in your mind. Some might say, well, Lem, are you saying I need to obey every single Old Testament commandment? And by the way, do it better than the Pharisee or I'm going to hell. And then somebody else might be saying to me, well, Lem, didn't Jesus die? So the law doesn't pertain to me anymore. These are legitimate questions, right? Hopefully, we'll see here that Jesus' fulfillment of the law and prophets, you can truly find life and liberty in the law of God. But before things get lighter, I'm going to make things a little heavier for us. Matthew chapter 7. There are some quite heavy and scary words from the Lord Jesus. If you would, turn in your Bible, Matthew 7. We're going to start in verse 21. Here's what it says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. That word evildoers in the NIV is translated from the Greek word anomian, or better defined, lawlessness. Many of you would know this verse from other translations. Here's how the ESV reads it. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. King James Version for my seniors in the room. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. The New Living Translation. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Lawlessness is the charge that brings the indictment on those who would appeal to their spiritual works. And let's not be mistaken, these are good spiritual works. Here you have a people that come before Jesus and they're saying, prophesied, drove out demons, performed miracles. That's a crazy resume. Imagine you're in an interview for some spiritual job. Yeah, you know, I prophesy. I cast out demons. I even perform miracles. I'm hired. But no, you violate our policies and standards. You have no place here. That should sober us. There's a lot of theological things and debating we can have regarding these verses, but let's look at the plainness of it. There's people that will come before the Lord that think they know him, but what they'll hear is, I don't know you. Get away from me. You practice lawlessness. What is lawlessness? Lagos defines it as the state of being or behaving in open defiance to the law. Oxford Languages defines it as a state of disorder due to a disregard of the law. This is akin to abolishing the law. The last few months, we've been looking at the Ten Commandments, even looking at how they were broken in biblical days. And there's questions, how does that lawlessness look today? How does the lawless heart 
respond. Let's go through the commandments. First commandment, the idolatrous, lawless heart of today isn't worshiping Baal, but the so-called almighty dollar. The lawless heart serves mammon. Second commandment, it's not as common here in the West to worship statues and idols, but all you have to do is go on Instagram. I promise you, you will see the idolatrous, lawless heart of self-worship there. Third commandment, blasphemous, lawless hearts that use Jesus' name as a curse. But not just that, many claim to be his disciples, but their lives and their lips show no evidence of it. They bear his name in vain. Now, on the fourth commandment, I'm going to make a little caveat here. I don't want to be lawless myself. The Bible said, do not put any judgment on a Sabbath and many other things. That's found in Colossians 2. But I will encourage you with this. The Sabbath is for you. Work six days. Take a day off. Fifth commandment, the dishonoring, lawless heart disregards the elderly parent confining them to homes, never visiting them, no calls, no support. They die a lonely death. Sixth commandment, the Lord Jesus said that those with anger toward a brother in their heart bear a murderer's judgment. That's the lawless heart of a murderer. Seventh commandment, Jesus said if you lust in your heart, that that is an adulterous, lawless heart. The thieving lawless heart says, you know, I'm not going to report this income here on my taxes because excuse, excuse, excuse. Ninth commandment, the lying lawless heart falsely testifies against his neighbor, says things like this. Well, the Republicans are all like, or the Democrats are all like, you know, black people, they're all, and white people, they're. The Tenth commandment. The covetous, lawless heart is always needing to upgrade. Disdain it has for the older model. Ungrateful, never content. Always yearning for that which is temporal. You see, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, many other religious people, they might try to do something like this. Well, see, I stay within the lines. I never murdered anybody. But inside... They're seething with anger toward their brother. They say, well, I never, I never cheated. I never, had adult, I never committed adultery. Yet their eyes do far worse than they would do with their body. They present God with a subpar righteousness, internally lawless. So I think it's clear. We've established that Jesus doesn't want us to think he's abolishing the law, and that those who would present subpar righteousness and those who are lawless, they have no place with him. Let's bring some light. Let's continue on in Matthew 5, 17. Jesus says this, latter part of the verse, I have not come to abolish them, meaning the law, but to fulfill them. Mm. You see, Jesus was not a perpetuate of lawlessness quite the opposite. He said he'd fulfill it. And that Greek word there for fulfill means to satisfy, execute, or finish. You know, Jesus would go on to greatly surpass the righteousness of the Pharisee and the teacher of the law. 
There wasn't the smallest letter, not the stroke of a pen, that he faulted. He did not set aside the least of the commands. But no, he perfectly taught, setting the bar where it is and where it should be, perfectly and righteously high. You know, Jesus loved God. He loved God with all of his heart, with all of his mind, with all of his soul. Jesus perfectly loved his neighbor as himself. Jesus was perfect as his heavenly father was perfect. Hear how Hebrews 1, 8 to 9 speaks about him. It says this, but about the son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Again, same Greek word for lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. That's good news for us today. Jesus is a righteous ruler. He loves what's good. He hates what's lawless. It says that he's going to rule with a scepter of justice. What's that mean? The Bible says that he's been given all authority in heaven and on earth. He will go across the earth, and there won't be one that won't be righteously judged. That's good news, right? Hey, that means murderers, idolaters, adulterers, sorcerers, thieves. They'll all be judged. Gets better. Not just them. Murderers at heart. Adulterers at heart. Sorcerers, idolaters at heart. Thieves at heart. Guess what? They'll be righteously judged too. That's great news. That's great news if you're not a sinner. That's still good news, and our heart should rejoice, but it's bad news if you're on the judgment side of that justice. I know in my heart what lies there. There's anger, there's lust, there's covetousness. Back in March... 31st, 2005, I was in my dorm room at Daddy of Stevens College, and I, get, I just got done watching the movie Saw. The movie Saw is about a serial killer who kills people. I do not recommend you watch it. It's a very disturbing movie filled with evil. And I'm laying there on my bed, and this movie has me thinking about the reality of evil and so I recognize, yes, what I just saw, this murders, that's wrong. It's wrong for people to murder other people. And then I thought about it some more. If there's a such thing as wrong, then there must be something that's right. My thoughts were very systematic. And if there's, such thing that, if there's a such thing as wrong and right, there has to be someone that determines what is wrong and what is right. This isn't a free-for-all. And so I kept thinking about it. And I thought, if there is a God and he determines what's right and wrong, he must punish what is wrong. Nobody has to convince anybody else of justice. We're born with that, written on our hearts, that concept. Take a, I, this is what happened to me. I took a cookie and I broke it in half, but I messed up. I broke the cookie a little bit, was a little bigger, and the other piece was, you know, smaller. And my two sons were right there, so I gave the bigger piece to my older son, because he's bigger. Does that make sense, right? And I gave the smaller piece to my... <laughs> you already know what happened. 
<laughs> I had to figure it out real quick. I started breaking other cookies. Anyway, justice. Nobody has to convince us of justice. We know that there should be recompense. And that's when it hit me. I do wrong. I deserve judgment. I have evil in my heart. I deserve death. I deserve hell. I deserve the lake of fire. Paul in Romans chapter 7. Please go there with me. Romans 7. I'm going to be starting in verse 21. Paul expresses the heart of the one who recognizes that they failed to meet the standard of the law. That's Romans chapter 7 and verse 21. It reads, So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? <laughs> Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. It was then on my bed for the first time ever that I understood what Jesus' work on the cross was all about. Jesus took my place. I deserved to die that death. He took my sin on himself. You see, Jesus fulfilling the law absolutely was to the glory of God, which would result in his exaltation, and it's also for us here today. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, For our sake God made Jesus to be sin, him who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, Jesus lived the perfect life righteous life, meeting the perfect righteous standard. Jesus died the death that lawless people deserve to die so that they could be declared forgiven, that they could be declared righteous before God. That's good news. Romans, go back to it. Look where we left off, beginning uh, there in chapter 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For all who trust in the Lord Jesus and his work on the cross, his life and death fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law. We no longer live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This is something that God promised. If you look in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. He goes on to say this, 
Very important. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. This is good news. This is gospel. You don't have to face the consequence that you rightly deserve. As the song went, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Where sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Praise him, church. He's worthy of it. You might be here today and you might not be a Christian. If you recognize what I'm saying and you understand and you know that you're a sinner and you want to be saved of your sins, this is what the Bible would command of you. It says, repent. What does that mean? Turn away from your sins. Turn away from the lawlessness that judgment and punishment is coming on. Forgiveness is offered to you. One day we will all stand before God. And you are either going to bring a lawlessness, a subpar righteousness, or you will be found in him. The one who perfectly upheld the law. If you place your faith in Christ, you will be met and welcomed as the righteous son would. So finally, let me try to answer the question. For the spirit-filled Christian, how should they relate to the law? Not just Old Testament commands, but also many other questions that pop up in our church age. Questions like this. Can I drink and smoke? And then this is a new one if you're in a state that it's legal. Can I smoke weed? Can I kiss my girlfriend or boyfriend? How far is too far? Should I spank my kids? Should I spank other people's kids? <laughs> if you spank other people's kids, you will go to jail. <laughs> How short can my skirt be? Are yoga pants cool? Can I get tattoos? Can I say the N-word? Not you. Can I say the N-word? You can't say the N-word. <laughs> Is it a sin if I go one mile per hour over the speed limit? What about five? What about 15? Is it right for me to ask my girlfriend to get an abortion if I don't feel like I'm ready? And here's a popular one I hear all the time. Well, in the Old Testament, you weren't allowed to eat shellfish or wear clothing with two different fabrics. But now we can, right? So that must mean homosexual marriage and the like is okay. These are all very easy topics, right? And this is why discipleship is necessary. It is not going to be a shock to some of you, but the Bible speaks to all these things. There are principles there. Of course, it's not going to tell you about going five miles per hour over the speed limit. There were no cars. But the principles there, like in Romans 13, that tells us how we should behave civilly in response to the government and its laws, even when you don't like who's in office. If you notice something about the questions I just posed, they were all about what are my rights? 
What am I free to do? What's permissible for me? Please go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to start in verse 19. 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 19. Here's how it reads. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. Here's church, hear this. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. I think what I'm about to say is going to free a lot of us up. Don't take it as a disrespect to you, but take it as a loving rebuke if necessary. Let this truth sink into you. Fundamentally, it's not about you. There are things that you desire. Some of them are wrong and forbidden. Some are debatable. And some you're completely free to partake in. But again, ultimately, fundamentally, this is not about us. It's not about our desires. The modern ethos of the day says, if you desire it, you deserve it. Mm-mm. Let me free you up, brothers and sisters. Your lives are not your own. You were brought at a heavy price. You belong to Christ. You have died to yourself. You now belong to him. If it's not about us, then what's it about? What's all this about? To the glory of God. Remember that? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, May it bring, bring God glory. You know why? He's worthy. And he is God. He gets to call the shots, including punishment for lawlessness or reward for obedience. And this demands a fear. We should fear God. He is holy. And the hour of judgment is coming. We're called to love God. He's given you life. He's provided his son for the forgiveness of sins. The motivation for that was love, the Bible says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? We can find true life and liberty in that. You ask me how? Because we know that the very one who gave the commands is the same one who his heart towards us is love and liberty, be free in Christ. Lastly, obey God. In the book of John, it says this. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. Church, let's not be a people that just speak this. 
We show our faith by our works, yes? We don't want to present God with a worthless faith. And God's spirit can truly enable us to follow his decrees and be careful to keep his laws. Before Jesus ascended, he said this, go, make disciples, goes on to say, teaching them to obey everything that he's commanded. If we're to properly fear God, love God, and obey God, you've got to know what he teaches. Church, pick up your Bibles and read. Know him. Have a real relationship with him. Pray. The only way that you're not going to be conformed to the ways of this world is to be transformed by what? The renewing of our minds. He said it, that true worshipers will worship him in spirit and in truth. His word is truth. I'm going to leave us off with this verse, and then I'm going to pray for us. Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we want to be people that do. We don't want to be just hearers of your word. Empower us by your spirit so that your word will not come back to you void. God, and not our will, like Jesus prayed, but your will be done in our lives. Help us to distinguish what is your will. Mature us. God, use your preached word here today. Save those who are lost. Edify your people. I pray this for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand and sing in response to that. God.
If you don't have any questions, I'm wondering if you listen to me today. If you do have questions, I'll be up here. Um, but to my left and through that hall there is the encounter room. There's people there that will be willing to pray with you, talk to you about any of the things I said here today. Um, also, Pastor Tony's up here. We have an elder up here at the front. Um, God is holy and God is loving. Come to him. He will have you in his son, Jesus. Let me leave you with this benediction. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Be blessed.